Welcome to Surveillance Report 35, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week, such as Facebook being abused by the Chinese government, a number of data breaches this week, and we are also recapping a story that we missed last week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. Surveillance Report is supported by viewers. You can support the Surveillance Report as well as many other projects from TechLore and The New Oil by donating through Patreon, Coffee, the merch store, or contributing in free ways like sharing the podcast, sharing the site, or contributing to the open source projects we manage. Every bit helps. Thank you so much for keeping our content accessible and helping us to bring privacy to the masses. Let's go ahead and jump into data breaches. We're going to start off with the big one this week. 11 million records of French users were stolen from a marketing platform and put for sale online. So the hack comes from Apollo, which is a US-based sales engagement and digital marketing company. The leaked data contains full names, phone numbers, location coordinates, workplace information, social media profiles, and more. It is unclear how the data breach was done and if more records are yet to be released. And if I may quote the article, according to Apollo themselves, the company conducts quarterly security audits, regular penetration tests, and has intrusion detection systems online. With that said, this is not the first time Apollo has had their data leaked. Back in 2018, the company faced criticism after a database containing 200 million user records had been breached by threat actors. Womp womp. Our next runner-up is Israel. The data of 6.5 million Israeli citizens has been leaked online. This comes from voter registrations. Again, 6.5 million Israeli citizens. Also, the personal details of 3.1, including full names, phone numbers, ID cards, addresses, gender, age, and political preference. The source of the data breach was a third-party app called Elector, which was developed by the, I'm totally going to screw this up, Likud party, the current Benjamin Netanyahu party. And unfortunately, this is also not Elector's first security mess-up. In February 2020, a dev named Ron Barzik found an exposed API that allowed him to get site admin account lists and details, including passwords. So that appears to be the theme for this week, is if you got breached once, it's probably going to happen again. Our next data breach is Shell. Yes, that Shell. This is part of the ongoing Excelion file transfer protocol data breach that we have been discussing. For those who have not been keeping up on that, Excelion happened... Uh, probably somewhere between a month and two months ago at this point, and it's a third-party service that allows you to, quote-unquote, securely transfer your files, and clearly that was a lie. They got hacked, and because so many third-party services used Excelion, it has just cascaded from there, and now everybody's getting breached left and right. For those who don't know, Shell is a multinational group of petrochemical and energy companies. I know them best for their chain of gas stations. They insist that their Excelion system was isolated, so the wider network was not impacted. However, they do say that some personal data may have been uncovered belonging to stakeholders and subsidiaries, but they haven't said exactly what that data was. Next, we will head to the UK, where thousands of taxpayer details are potentially exposed online through the council's debt-chasing texts. A number of local authorities, about a dozen local authorities, according to this article, partnered with a company called Tell Solutions LTD to text people SMS reminders about outstanding tax debts. As you can see here, you have a message from the council. Click here to read it. That link that is blacked out here or uh, read it over, that link could be easily changed. And depending on what that link said, you could access the taxpayer records with zero authentication. So if I click that link, I will see my name, address, and outstanding debts. But if I change that link, I might see somebody else's debts. And again, no authentication. So all I have to do is change the link and try it and see what happens. 
The loophole has apparently been closed, although the article did not specify exactly how it was closed and how they are avoiding that in the future. And our final data breach. A phishing attack has led to a data breach at the California State Controller's Office. Attackers gained access for more than 24 hours and stole, quote, social security numbers and sensitive files on thousands of state workers, unquote. They also used the information that they breached to send at least 9,000 more phishing messages using the contact information that they obtained. As the headline suggests, the breach is the result of an employee clicking on a phishing link and entering their credentials on the following website that came up. So remember, if you get sent a link, double check it, verify it, and if possible, don't even click on it. For example, if your bank sends you a link and says, we have a message for you, just go straight to your bank's website. I promise it'll be there. All right, let's jump into companies. We're going to start off with Microsoft, a real quick update on the ongoing Exchange server hack. 92% of vulnerable Exchange servers are now patched, according to Microsoft. For those who don't know, this started a couple weeks ago. Basically, Exchange is a really popular server software from Microsoft, and they found four major vulnerabilities all at once, and they scrambled to get these patched as quick as they could, but obviously the law-abiding are no match for the criminals when it comes to rolling these things out, and before you knew it, everybody was getting hacked left and right. The good news is, like I said, 92% are now patched. Hopefully the worst of this is behind us. Let's talk about Apple for a moment. Apple's HomePod Mini has a secret sensor waiting to be switched on. The Apple HomePod Mini has a temperature and humidity sensor that the company has never disclosed. Google Nest actually did something very similar to this recently. I want to say it was last year. I covered this on my old podcast. Google Nest was caught with a microphone that they had never disclosed. And in both of these instances, both the Google and the Apple one here, the assumption is that this is a future-proofing thing, that at some point these undisclosed devices are going to be used for future capabilities. For example, with this Apple one, they think that it can be used for HVAC purposes. If a room is too warm, you can turn on the fan automatically. With the Google one, they think that that's going to integrate with Google Home and other such smart assistants. As cool as that is, and as much as I understand that, I do think that's a little bit problematic that they don't tell you about these things. You think that would be a selling point. Hey, it's already got something in it. We're going to roll that out in the future. A quick follow-up on Apple. They have released an emergency update for iPhones, iPads, and Apple Watch. 14.4.2 and 7.3.3. If you use any of those devices, make sure to go ahead and check for updates. Google has set up an Android group for future car keys, national ID, and e-wallets. Google has set up the Android Ready SE Alliance to support the adoption of Android smartphones and wearables as digital keys, identity documents, and wallets for digital cash. Basically, Google is trying to make the Android smartphone more secure so that it can safely adopt things like electronic IDs, digital wallets, and eventually even electronic car keys. As part of that initiative to make Android more secure, they have launched the Strongbox SE applet, which stands for Secure Element. And from what I understand, this is supposed to work with Google's Titan M chip to make the overall Android environment more secure. Again, that's what they're going for. In fact, they are trying to make this thing so secure that they are offering a $1 million bug bounty for anyone who can achieve, quote, a full chain remote code execution exploit with persistence that compromises the data protected by the chip, unquote. Amazon is forcing delivery drivers to sign biometric consent forms or lose their jobs. We've been talking for the last several episodes about how Amazon is rolling out these new cameras that are going to spy on the drivers. And ostensibly, this is to improve productivity and safety. In reality, this is to improve profit. It's kind of a well-known fact that Amazon's drivers are being forced into slave-like conditions. They are now forcing drivers to consent to biometric data. For example, the camera might 
use facial recognition to ensure that the driver is the driver and that nobody's stealing the van or driving on behalf of the driver for whatever case. I have to point out, in my opinion, it's not consent if you don't have a choice. The most messed up part is that a lot of these drivers aren't actually Amazon employees. They're third-party companies that are being contracted by Amazon. Tesla's in-car cameras are raising privacy concerns. Tesla is using in-car cameras to train their self-driving tech, which is apparently pretty common. They list at the bottom of this article a whole bunch of other BMW, Ford, General Motors, Subaru, they're all doing that too. Consumer Reports has a few issues with the way that Tesla is handling this. Their biggest issue is they say that Tesla should not simply be passively using this. They should also be using this footage to alert drivers if they notice that drivers are tired or not paying attention to the road, etc. Right now, they don't do that. They just record the footage. That aside, they did fortunately also point out that anytime video is being recorded, it can be accessed later. And there may be legal protections around that, but there's always the possibility that insurance companies, police, regulators, and other parties in accidents will be able to obtain that data. So basically, they are pointing out that there are some privacy concerns here. Computer giant Acer has been hit by a $50 million ransomware attack. For those who don't know, Acer is a Taiwanese electronics and computer manufacturer. They were hit by R-Evil, or Revil, I'm not really sure how to pronounce that, which is a ransomware attack. And the attackers are demanding $50 million, which is the largest known ransom to date. The attackers claim to have stolen financial spreadsheets, bank balances, and bank communications, among more. It is possible, but it is unconfirmed at this time, that the attackers may have used one of the aforementioned Microsoft Exchange vulnerabilities to perform this attack. Mozilla is rolling out a couple of new privacy tweaks to make Firefox a little bit more private for the end user. Starting in Firefox 87, which should have come out on the 23rd, Mozilla will be restricting the HTTP refer. To put it in layman's terms, the HTTP refer header says what website you came from or what you were referred from. For example, if you find a website through a DuckDuckGo search, they will get a refer that says you were referred here by DuckDuckGo. Typically, this information includes uh, quote-unquote innocent information, analytics, and stuff like that, but sometimes it can contain private user data, and this is a very popular way to track users online. For those who speak tech, the new default will be strict origin when cross-origin. I don't know what that means, but if you do, there you go. The second change is that Firefox 87 will introduce SmartBlock. And to quote the article here, SmartBlock Smart Block provides local stand-ins for blocked third-party tracking scripts. So I thought this was kind of like a, a decentralized or local CDN kind of thing. Others have told me that this is more like a uBlock origin kind of thing, but it does have the potential to be used in a decentralized type of way. Either way, more built-in privacy for users. I think that's pretty freaking awesome. And last, Cloudflare launches PageShield to thwart MageCart card skimming attacks. So MageCart, again, I'm going to quote the article because they summed up really well. MageCart is an umbrella term used to describe JavaScript-based card skimming attacks. Basically, when you shop online, sometimes criminals will hijack the JavaScript and use it to copy your card details. This article was very low level. It did not really get into the technical details. But from what I understand, PageShield wants to check the third-party JavaScript dependencies on your side, the client side and they want to compare it to the original third-party dependency that was pulled. Kind of like a checksum. Maybe it is a checksum. Again, they didn't really go into detail. Some companies you may have heard of that have been hit by Magecart include British Airways, Ticketmaster, Newegg, and Boom Mobile. Okay, let's move into research. A popular remote lesson monitoring program could be exploited to attack student PCs. So on Monday, McAfee disclosed the existence of multiple security holes in NetOp, NetOp, I don't really know how that's pronounced. Vision Pro, which is a popular monitoring software adopted by schools for teachers to control remote learning sessions. 
I read this whole article. The biggest thing to me seems to be the fact that once it is set up, all traffic is unencrypted and there's no option to enable encryption. So there's a lot of different vulnerabilities in here, but that would be made significantly harder if they would allow people to encrypt the traffic. NetOp has already rolled out some fixes for some of the like privilege escalation stuff and stuff like that. They do plan to roll out encryption in the near future. Here's a really quick one that I just thought was super cool. Determining key shape from sound. The title says it all. It is not yet accurate or practical, but under ideal conditions, it is possible to figure out the shape of a house key by listening to it being used. New 5G protocol vulnerabilities allow location tracking. So this is, I've had several people comment on this. This is not regular phone tracking through 5G. That's not what they're talking about. Security researchers at Adaptive Mobile have found a vulnerability in 5G that could be abused to crash the network and extract user data. The issue presents on hybrid networks, which is basically what most networks are gonna be for at least the next several years. They're gonna use both 5G and older technologies like 4G. They have reported this to the GSM Association and the Third Generation Partnership Project, who are responsible for the 5G standard and how it is rolled out by mobile providers. Hopefully, a fix will be coming in the near future. And last but not least, under research, a new Android malware with full range of spying capabilities has been found. Researchers have discovered an unnamed malware that disguises itself as a system update from a third-party app store, and it has the ability to do, among many other things, steal messages, including from WhatsApp, certain browser history, certain files, record audio and phone calls, take pictures, track locations, and more. The article was unclear if this came from any given third-party store or if it came from a specific third-party store. Google was very adamant that it was not available in the official Play Store. I am totally in favor of third-party stores. I think F-Droid is amazing. I think Aurora is amazing. However, just as with any regular mobile app, it is important to note that when you use a third-party store, you are offering a lot of control and power to that app. Go ahead and sideload. Go ahead and use third-party stores. Just please know what you're doing and be aware that you are introducing a lot of risk. That is not to say the Google Store is perfect. The Google Play Store certainly has tons of malware. I talk about that all the time. All right, let's jump into politics. The big story this week is that Facebook says Chinese hackers were using their platform to target user devices. Hackers who are believed to be tied to the Chinese state as part of the Earth Empusa or Evil Eye groups were targeting activists, journalists, and dissidents, mostly Uyghurs, who were living abroad and outside of China. The attacks used Facebook to share links, and they also used a fake Android app to install malware on devices. This was actually pretty advanced. Facebook said that the group took steps to conceal their activity by only infecting people with iOS malware when they passed certain technical checks, including IP address, operating system, browser, and country language settings. So if you were on an Android and you tried to click one of these links that was meant for an iPhone, it just wouldn't do anything. And that's one of the things that allowed them to go undetected for quite a while. Let's talk about Myanmar and ProtonVPN for a moment. We have not discussed Myanmar much here on the Surveillance Report, and that's because while this is a very important issue and while it does heavily overlap with things like privacy, privacy and security, there haven't really been any specific stories about privacy that have resulted from this. For those who do not know, Myanmar is in the middle of a, I don't know if it would be exaggerating to call it civil war. The military has seized control and people are protesting and people are getting shot. So things are really serious in Myanmar right now. ProtonVPN has said that Apple is basically pressuring them to not cause any trouble. The reason I wanted to share this is because I don't think this is just happening to Proton. This is happening to lots of other apps as well. 
they do actually mention that Apple has done this before in places like Hong Kong. So while, again, while this article comes from Proton's perspective, I'm sure this is happening to other people. In this case, Apple blocked an update from ProtonVPN because the description that Proton uses for their app says that they are useful to, quote, challenge governments, unquote. This is really not cool, especially from a company that claims to be privacy-oriented. And let's head back to Israel. I told you we were going to talk about these guys again. Likud is allegedly using TrueCaller app database to target potential voters. So if you live in the West, you have probably been targeted by campaign text messages. I know... During the 2020 election, around August, September, October, I was getting literally like six test messages a day, and they were always, hey, you should vote for this guy because he loves puppies and he's going to save the world and all this kind of stuff that was really, really annoying that I'm sure you've dealt with. Well, they're doing that in Israel too, and the weird thing is they seem to be getting their information from TrueCaller, among other sources. For those who don't know, TrueCaller is an app. You download it on your phone. It copies your contact list, and then what it does is when everybody downloads it, it aggregates all those contact lists to verify who is a real person. If somebody calls you and their name shows up in somebody else's contact list, they're probably a real person. But if they don't or if they show up in somebody's block list, probably spam. The reason that people are thinking that TrueCaller is one of the sources for this is several people have received messages where the text called them by a nickname that nobody else used. For example, in one case, a woman received such a text message from Likud that used a nickname only used by her close friends, sparking their suspicion. Neither are connected to the party. In another case, a man received a personalized text message that used his name but wrote it in English while the rest of the message was in Hebrew. I don't think you should use TrueCaller. Yeah, robocalls are really annoying, and I understand, and I completely share your frustration, but quite frankly, people in your contact list did not consent to have their phone number shared with other companies, and that really infringes on their privacy when you do that. Let's continue over to FOSS, free and open source software. We're going to talk about Tutanoto real quick. Tutanoto, for those who don't know, is an encrypted email provider from Germany. They are extremely popular. On February 25th, Tutanoto identified a possible cross-scripting attack during a regular security review. It affected a payment page on their website. It did not affect any of their apps or anything like that. They also have no reason to believe that this vulnerability was exploited. However, better safe than sorry. If you use Tutanota, change your password. Definitely change your password if you A, received and clicked on a link that started with mail.tutanota.com slash braintree.html, or if you had your Tutanota credentials saved to your browser. Fortunately, that has been fixed, and it's pretty easy to stay ahead of that as a Tutanota user. Next, OpenSSL has fixed a couple of high-severity flaws that allowed hackers to crash servers. So according to this article, OpenSSL is the most widely used software library for Im implementing website and email encryption. I'm just going to quote the article because they sum it up really well. On Thursday, OpenSSL maintainers disclosed and patched a vulnerability that causes servers to crash when they receive a maliciously crafted request from an unauthenticated end user. And then further down, when they're talking about some of the other cases, OpenSSL also fixed a separate vulnerability that in edge cases prevented apps from detecting and rejecting TLS certificates that aren't digitally signed by a browser-trusted certificate authority. That was kind of technical. Long story short, if you have a server, make sure you run updates. If you don't have a server, you should probably think about it, because honestly, self-hosting is not that hard. It's very powerful. It gives you a lot of control over your data, and... It's a great way to put an old computer you have lying around to use to do something for you. If you do not self-host or have any servers, just rest easy knowing that the internet is a little bit more stable and safe for another day. 
And last but not least, let's get to our misfits. So this is the story we missed last week, and this is a big story that I wanted to make sure we touched on. A cheerleader's mom is accused of making deep fake videos of her daughter's rivals. Basically, a cheer mom doctored photos and videos of her daughter's cheerleading rivals in an attempt to get them kicked off the squad. She used photos from the rivals' social media accounts to make it appear like they were drinking, smoking, and nude. Deepfake technology is becoming more and more common, and just as with anything, the more common it becomes, the better it will get and the easier it will get. So right now, this stuff may not be very convincing. I don't know if this was. I obviously did not try to go find it. But as time goes on, this is something that we are going to have to worry about more and more because this is something that is only going to get easier and more realistic as time goes on. Please be careful what you post online. Obviously, I am putting my face online, so I'm not saying don't ever do it. I'm just saying, be careful and think about it. And our last story, the dark web is teeming with vaccine listings right now. This is not really a new story. It's more of a continuing evolution on something that's been going on since the pandemic. When the pandemic started, you could get faked COVID-19 negative test results sent to you for a small fee so that you could go back to work or you could travel or you could do whatever. Now cyber criminals are stepping that up a notch and they are offering the vaccine cards. They are offering actual doses of the vaccine, although we are not sure if those are fake or legitimate. And even if they are legitimate, they probably have not been stored at the right temperatures and therefore are basically useless. So yay, cybercrime. And that's it. That is all our news for this week. We want to thank you so much for listening to The Surveillance Report. We are so happy to know that you are trying to stay safe and informed out there. The last thing we want to ask of you is to please share this podcast around. Make sure that you are subscribed, and if you are on a platform that allows for ratings, please give us a rating because those things actually really do help with visibility. We are trying to reach as many people as possible with our message of privacy and security, and you can help us do that. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.